Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Lou, speaking to you after, I mean, how do you even describe this game? Um, the Raptors lose in the end, uh, in overtime, by a score of 104 to 101 against the Milwaukee Bucks team that uh, rested, you know, a, a half of the roster and, you know, came in on the second half of back-to-back. And, you know, it was a national TV game and Giannis played and played really well, especially obviously with the, the game-winning assist there. Uh, for the three to Grayson Allen after four Raptors mobbed them in the paint. Bit of overhelping on the Raptors there. Um, but how do you even describe this game? I mean, you could look at just all the absurd sequences that happened throughout it. And, you know, you could look at the ugly, and it was downright ugly. The Raptors shot 0 of 14 from the field to start the game. They were at one, They finished the first quarter 2 of 23 from the field. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that they got 10 free throws to drop, they, you know, were, would literally have four points. Um, they didn't make their first jumper um, until the six-minute mark of the uh, second quarter. So the, the whole game, for 18 minutes, they didn't make a single jumper. They, they got to the rim, um, and they got fouled on drives, and, you know, they were pushing in transition. But, like, I genuinely, I'd never seen the offense struggle like that ever before. Um the Raptors got it to the point where they were two of 30 from the field, which uh, should leave you out of every single game. And honestly, when it happens on national television too, in the States with ESPN, this might be one of the Raptors lone ESPN games on the season. And if ESPN has the option, they probably would option away from showing two of 30 from the field. But the one thing you have to give the Raptors credit for is just how much they fought. Because even though they were obviously struggling so badly, even though they only made two baskets in the first quarter, they were still only down 13 to 12, you know, uh, after the first quarter. And there were it's a one-point game heading into halftime. And the reason for that is just because the Raptors, obviously they couldn't get their offense going for so long. But before they did that, they were scrapping, they were competing, they were forcing Giannis into turnovers, they were building the wall against them, and... You know, they were just trying to do whatever they can. And to me, it shows one thing. Number one, it shows me that the Raptors can play transition defense even when they miss, right? A lot of these other games when the Raptors miss shots and they go the other way, you're like, well, what can you do? The, you know, you miss a shot and then the other team goes in transition. No, no, no. The Raptors can play transition defense. They, they played and they fought and they they just battled with this hunger tonight. And, you know, um, this was a game that they absolutely needed to win, even though the, the Raptors were, um, you know, still going up against... Giannis, who played at an MVP level, um, but you absolutely needed to win this game, and the Raptors showed it. And you know what? Even though they started so poorly offensively, they weren't deterred. However, that struggle, though, really did come to characterize a lot of the fourth quarter to the point where it seemed like the game was over, right? The Raptors got down a couple of baskets. The Bucks started getting a couple threes to drop. They really struggled with threes tonight. Obviously, they were swarming Giannis. Um, and it got to the point where Mike Budenholzer literally took Giannis out the game and put some of his bench guys in and Thanasis came in, you know, you know, Atenokounmpo for Atenokounmpo and, you know, Jordan Nora came in and some of the other bench guys came in and, you know, why not, right? Because at, at one point, the Raptors were still down 14 points with a minute and eight seconds left. Down 14 points with a minute and eight seconds left. Now, Nick Nurse never took his starters out of the game because of how desperate they were to win this game. And to be honest, a lot of the times when we watch it, we're like, fake comeback, fake comeback. Okay, the Raptors are doing this with fake comeback. The effort was real. You know, I, I dare anybody to go up to these players who, who tried to come up with these comebacks and say fake comeback. 
to them because that effort was real. Now, you probably wanted the effort more throughout the course of the game, but at the same time, that effort was there, and the Raptors pulled off that miracle. And there were a couple of hustle plays that went into it, right? I thought Scotty was able to get a couple of hook shots to drop over Brooke Lopez, right? Um, I thought, uh, you know, Pascal was able to force Bobby Portis into a key turnover there with the Raptors down three with time left on the clock to get the ball back, right? Obviously, Gary was able to make a four-point play happen because he got fouled on a three. And then Fred, with a very smart play there to challenge, right? Go over, he literally went over to every single ref and begged them for the challenge because what he saw in the play was the right decision there was that while Gary was up for the shot, Grayson Allen, who was down for the shot, literally raked his hands across, you know, Gary's privates. Right, that is a flagrant foul, right? And the refs didn't see it at the time. They just saw it as a foul. Fred saw what was happening, begged them to re- to uh, to review. The referees cave. They're like, okay, we'll go look at it. They look at it. They see what happened. Flagrant one. So instead, Gary gets the extra free throws, but the Raptors get the ball back, and the Raptors were able to give it to Scotty on that play, took it inside. So it became a six-point play. Then Pascal forces the turnover on uh, on on Portis. You know, Fred also had a play where he you know jarred the ball loose against um Giannis and then dove for the ball and then got one loose ball and got called for, and Giannis got called for a loose ball foul like a lot of hustle plays that went sort of into this comeback and then at the very end Gary Trent Jr. with a sensational step back three over Brooke Lopez who was up above the three-point line a seven-footer put the hand up and everything forces overtime uh and the Raptors have this chance and you looked at it like man this is like one of those like it, it's it's basically a basketball miracle to overcome, again, 14 points with a minute and eight seconds left. 68 points. You have to outscore your opponent by 14 points, right? But everything kind of went in that direction to get it done. Everyone contributed to that sort of push. And now you're in overtime. And even though when I watched this game, I watched Pascal Siakam struggle majorly, 4 of 18 from the field. Very One of the very few times this season I've seen Pascal panic in terms of what to do on offense. I thought today it wasn't necessarily... Even the skill issue, I just thought he panicked and got himself into terrible situations. And I think that the play that sort of characterized his night was there's one play in overtime where he's trying to post up Brooke Lopez and he spun, spun, and like spun three times trying to get to any sort of space and opening, but they just wouldn't budge and he ended up throwing up a, a, a you know a push shot that didn't go where really go in. But even though Pascal was struggling, even though that OJ Anobi gave them very little in the first half, I think he only had four points. Um, you know, Scotty literally. I mean, Scotty had one of the most ridiculous nights I can remember where he had zero points at the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Like, literally zero points. And I'm not even talking about, like, he was taking shots and he was missing or he was driving hard and trying to initiate. Like, none of that was actually happening. He just wasn't involved in the play. I would say defensively the effort is there just like everyone else. Um, But just no ability or no push to sort of, like, uh, initiate offense. Now you might say the Raptors can initiate offense for him, and that's totally fair. I, I I agree with that, right? Especially when he has all that space. I thought the Raptors would attack that space in the similar way that they did against Indiana. But to be honest, when when the offense is struggling like that, and you set the tone by shooting two of thirty to start, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's just like everyone's in the water and you just got to swim, right? And everyone was trying to swim, and Fred was giving them tough buckets and, and doing a couple of things, and you know, um, Pascal was kind of struggling his way through it, but at least he was scoring a little bit. But, you know, at, at the fourth quarter mark there, or at, in the fourth quarter with six minutes left, Pascal drives inside. This is after Scotty drove inside against Lopez, got called for a foul. Scotty uh, goes to the free throw line, misses both free throws, so he's still stuck on zero. Next play down, Pascal drives, draws two to him, 
you know, beats Giannis and then shields Lopez behind him as he flips his back to the play, shovels it to Scotty, who's cutting in behind, and Scotty goes in for a dunk, right? And it was like one of those possessions where you're literally, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way. I saw some people on Twitter saying this. You're spoon-feeding a guy for dunk, and you got him going, and no one could have predicted what happened from there because Scotty literally went in and kept scoring one-on-one against Brook Lopez, kept taking that space, kept driving at him, and it was one of those things where it was like, okay, now you've hit the desperation for everybody, right? Because everyone else was sort of trying to give you everything they have. It just wasn't all that, but offensively, but defensively they were competing. But then towards the end there, Scotty just kind of turned it on and he had a driving score over Brook Lopez. Then he had another driving score over Brook Lopez. Then he had an and one over Brook Lopez. And a lot of this was like one-on-one in the post, kind of like herky-jerky, you know, Scotty Barnes stuff, right? Like he's not like blowing past guys off the dribble and all that kind of stuff and dunking, whatever. Right. But he's sort of back to the play, methodical, great balance. You know, the hook shot, you never know when to time for it, which hand is it going to go up with. And this is against Brooke Lopez, who is a really good shot blocker, like one of the best in the league. And when you watch this game, the amount of times, you know, Brooke Lopez and Giannis in in combination coming in to close down on Pascal really made life so difficult for him to the point where he was four of 18 in a game where he played overtime, right, for 11 points. And so for Scotty to then just suddenly, after that dunk, start to just get in for a layup. Here's a layup. Here's a little layup. Here's a little bank shot. Here's a little this. And, you know, I, I, I was tracking it, and I was thinking, you know what? It's it's coming in late, but at least he's starting to come on strong, and I loved it. Okay, it's like, okay, now Scotty's joined the fight. And to me, I was just worried because is this hill too much to overcome? And it wasn't. It turned out all those layups were really, really important, including the one to set up. Uh, the one possession game before Pascal forces the turnover before Gary Trent hits the three to send into overtime. So then they get to overtime. And now I'm thinking, okay, well, clearly the the plan for the game didn't really work offensively, right? Like a lot of the guys weren't really getting it going. The two guys I would have been looking for would be Gary, even though he didn't shoot the ball all that efficiently when you look at the end of the day. But I would be looking for Gary and I'd be looking for Scotty, right? But a lot of these other plays, you know, going on different guys. Again, Pascal didn't really have it going. I thought the Bucks had a really good game plan as to how to converge on him. Um I probably would have tried to go for more of that stuff with Scotty. Like they did a really great job of bringing Fred who actually had it going offensively, um, at least to start the game towards the end of the game. Obviously the, the percentage just dropped off, but relative to the competition, he had it going. Um, he started doing dribble handoffs with Scotty uh, or pick and rolls with Scotty and then swinging the ball back to Scotty. So he had maybe Lopez in a slight bit of rotation, uh, maybe moving a little bit laterally, and then Scotty can kind of go to move and, and just get to his spots, right? I thought the patience to get to his spots was great. The two baskets the Raptors scored in overtime were both finding Scotty on those types of plays, and I think he missed one, which is okay for me because the rest of the offense literally dried up, right? Gary had some open looks. He couldn't make it. You know, uh, Pascal had some looks. He just wasn't really open, wasn't able to make it. Fred tried to make a three at the end there, couldn't make it. And it, you know what? It was like, oh, my God, we went to overtime, but we actually went back to the first quarter because the Bucs weren't really able to score either, right? You had, you know, Giannis committing a loose ball foul, right? Pascal on five fouls. He's trying to get back on a two-on-one fast break. He reaches in on Giannis, strips the ball cleanly, all ball, and then Giannis kind of shoves him aside, gets called for a loose ball foul. The Bucks challenge, it's, you know, unsuccessful. Um, that's a great play with five fouls. Like, that's a, that's a make-or-miss, like, live-or-die kind of play, and Pascal made it. Right, bit of a gamble, but still, you have to make it. Just like in soccer, it's like a last ditch tackle. Right, you go in with two feet, you got to get the ball. If you don't get the ball, it's probably a red card, but you got to make it. Right, when you're in an overtime scenario like that, when it's a golden goal, so he makes that possession. Then OG eats like a push off from Giannis, and to be honest, 
even though the Raptors only had four baskets in overtime for the majority of overtime, the Bucks only had four baskets or, or four points in overtime as well. So it was literally a return to the struggle, except for the fact on the final possession with the Raptors having the ball with like about 35 seconds left, Gary Trent Jr. dribbles up, gets up a high screen and pulls up from the mid range. Now it was, it was, it was, a mid-range shot where he was leading forward with obviously there were guys around him, but there was space to shoot. It was a clean shot, and he missed it. To me, I understood because they were going for the two-for-one in that scenario, right? You shoot a little bit earlier so that you save a little bit of clock so that you can get another shot back, right? And I get it. But to be honest, wasn't ultimately the best shot. And to be, and But, okay, at least you get a shot. You execute the two-for-one. You don't get the basket, but now you got to defend. Come back the other way. And you know who's going to have the ball, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he's going to drive and drive and drive on you. Right. And true to form, Giannis drives, you know, Bucks are spread out along the three point line and the Raptors. I thought they had him trapped. I really thought they had him trapped because Giannis actually drove towards the side of the floor um, where the Raptors had their biggest defenders. Right. He could have chosen to drive right, which had Fred guarding uh, Grayson Allen in the corner. Uh, But instead, he drove left where I think Pascal and obviously OG was on the ball, but Scotty was around the rim as well. That was a great scenario, except for the fact that, and this is where I don't really understand the process I went into this, but Fred decided to pull off the opposite side corner all the way over to help on Giannis. Now, that was like at least a third or four defender on Giannis in that play, and I would understand if you literally built a four-person wall and sealed off the pass to the corner, right? And obviously sealed off the rim. When you have four guys, you can actually do both. Um, But instead, Fred kind of just gets behind his teammate instead. And what that opens is Giannis throws just a phenomenal pass. Like, And this is where you have to give greatness credit. Because Giannis was whipping passes errantly all over the floor. At one point, he whipped the pass and hit Jamal McGlure in the face in the second row of the Raptors coaches, right? And he was whipping passes all over the place. He had 12 turnovers. But on this play... He reads it with four guys converging on him, whips it cross court. Maybe he had the ball like holding it out of bounds. Obviously, that's legal. Holding it out of bounds because he's got such great length and whips it cross court into the corner for Grayson Allen for an open three. OG X's out and tries to get to the shot, but he doesn't. And Allen, despite the fact that he committed the dirty foul on Gary right before the end of regulation that actually forced overtime in the first place, because if he doesn't do that, it doesn't create an opportunity for a six-point play. He knocks down the three. And now, look, listen, the Raptors actually had, because Gary took that early shot, they had that chance for the two-for-one because it does leave about 10 seconds left on the clock. And what do the Raptors go to for that three? Now, for me, and maybe for the Bucs as well, they probably anticipated, okay, we give it to Gary again because Gary was the guy who hit the three to force overtime. Now, it wasn't like Gary was shooting the ball efficiently. He was 8 of 23. Fred was 8 of 23. They both shot a ton of threes. Fred actually got to the free throw line a little bit more. But you know what? I, I, I get sort of the feeling of sort of like, okay, they're both equivalent shooters in that moment. But instead, and I knew exactly what the play was going to be as soon as Raptors lined up out of the timeout because what they had was Fred in the backcourt. They had four in the front court. And then they had uh, OG, they had um, Scotty Barnes at center catching the ball at the elbow. And usually what the Raptors like to do in that scenario, because they have two options. Sometimes they inbound directly to the backcourt to Fred, right? This is usually what everyone else has covered. They do that. But instead, they inbound to Scotty, 
and they looked for a couple of split options. Nothing was open there. The Bucks were able to switch everything, force everyone out the line. And so instead, you know, Scotty turns around for a dribble handoff to Fred. Now, usually what the dribble handoff should do, especially if Fred is coming in with full speed, which he is coming in for with full speed from the backcourt, is that it creates an opportunity maybe to drive, maybe to sort of make someone pull off from the three-point line, help at the rim, and then kick him to the corner. Essentially, like, you know, what, what, what uh, you know, Giannis just did, right, to obviously a much lesser degree. Or you have a dribble handoff where there may be miscommunicating on that play and there's a little bit of space and Fred shoots a quick three off that dribble handoff, right? But it didn't really materialize immediately. The, the Bucks were able to switch out on it, and ultimately, Fred takes a contested three over top of Bobby Portis because that's, I think, the only option there was just like, okay, the Bucks guarded the play really well, and so Fred has to throw up a prayer, and it misses, and there's less than a second left, and the Bucks walk away with the win on national television. And sort of despite that sort of miracle that happened, basketball-wise miracle, in the fourth quarter there, literally in the last minute, erasing a 14-point lead in just over a minute to force OT, they can't get it done in overtime. And it's one of those scenarios where over the course of the game, especially the way they started, again, they shot 2 of 30 from the field, 2 of 30. Um, It felt hopeless. It felt frustrating. It felt like they were panicking. And it felt like one of those things where even though the season is long, the season is not that long. The season is long because this game kind of took years off your life watching 2 of 30 from the field. And it's not that long when you're in game 38 of the season. You know what I mean? And everyone sort of talked about how the six-game road homestand here is going to give you that chance to potentially save the season, right? If you're going to make a comeback on the season, like the Raptors made a comeback in this game, you got to show that right now. And the way they played, the desperation they played with against an opponent like the Bucs, who kind of gifted you a great opportunity. Not only are they playing the second half of back-to-back, not only are the Bucs just 500 on the road, they also came without half the rotation, and they tell you, hey, go ahead, right? I mean, we're going to play, and we're going to play hard, and we have still lots of champions on this team, and obviously Giannis is on that side, but go ahead. Even when you shoot 2 of 23 in the first quarter, you're still going to be down one. The chance is there for the Raptors but they just couldn't get it done. And when you watch the process of this game, just how much struggle they had offensively, it was it was almost historic. Um, the Raptors ended up taking 28 more shots than the Bucs um, because they forced 25 turnovers out of Milwaukee and only had eight turnovers themselves, right? So that's a plus 17 on the turnover margin. The Raptors were able to go um, and get up 116 shot attempts as compared to 88 for Milwaukee. And on those 116 shot attempts, and of course, the two for 30 at the start of it really, really hurts you, right? The two for 30 really, really hurts you, and I get that. Um, but the end result is that the Raptors took 116 shots on the night in regulation and overtime and produced 101 points. They made 38 out of 116 from the field for 32% from the from the field. Round up to 33 if you want. 32.8, okay? 33. One-third of their shots. Um, from the three, they shot 9 of 46 from the three. Um, that is 19.6%. Round up to 20 if you want, okay? 33 from the field, 20 from three. 
And they got to the free throw line and whatever, they were fine. But they didn't get to the free throw line that much because, to be honest, the Bucks were able to sit back on everybody. Like, they went under screens on everybody. They went under screens on OG Anobi, who is a decent shooter. Oh, but that's how this game was going. And when you really think about it, the Raptors threw everything they had at it. And they still competed. They still scrapped. Their defense was solid. They built the wall against Giannis. Giannis didn't shoot the ball efficiently. 7 of 18, had 12 turnovers, and was 7 of 18 from the field. But you still don't get the result done. And that's where when you ultimately think about it, and maybe it's just like overreaction because who knows, a couple plays go differently in overtime. Maybe you walk away with this win and we're we're having an entirely different conversation, but we're not. We're all humans. The players are humans. The, The coaching staff is humans. The executives are humans. Everyone saw what happened tonight. It's unmistakable. It's hard to build on something like this. This is the kind of game where even though they made that comeback, you know that comeback might swing how you look at it. The results are the results. If a team ever starts like 2 or 30 from the field, you really have to think about where that team is going. And that's not to say that the front office picks up the phone tomorrow and says, yes, I'll do this trade. Yes, I'll do this trade. Yes, I'll do this trade. And we'll never see these guys again. But this is such a strong and telling data point on how it informs your decision making. It's unmistakable. It's one of those things people can't unwatch. You know what I mean? And so... It's a tough result. And listen, you know, you needed something from your reserves, ultimately, right? Because your starters, Fred played 47 minutes. This guy had a back. Yeah, he had back spasms. He's playing 47 minutes. Gary Trent Jr. playing 45 minutes. You know, he's getting knocked in the nuts, and he's still making shots. You know, um, OJ, I know we're playing 46 minutes. Pascal playing 40. And the only reason for that was because he got in foul trouble the first half. He, otherwise, he would have been playing 47 as well. Um Scotty Barnes with 35, mostly because he was struggling offensively and just like invisible on that front. But when he came on strong, he came on strong. Guys gave you their all, their effort. Everything was there. But when you try this hard and you have 101 total points on 116 total shots and you take 28 more shots um, than your opponent and still lose, it's a real concern. You know, like I can't sugarcoat this. I want to come on here and lie about it. No. I mean, like we all saw what we saw. So it's a shame, really. It's a shame because sometimes in life you just have these sort of really narrow margins and you can maybe look back on the season and think, well, they only did this. Maybe this would have happened. This would have happened. But ultimately they didn't, right? The result is the Raptors lose again. They fall to six games under 500. They are a bad road team. They are only two games over 500 at home. And I think on the human level, it's like, okay, how do you summon this level of compete again to go again and, and play this hard? If they play this hard, they can beat a lot of opponents. You know, but it's they got to play this hard the rest of the season. And I don't know how sustainable that is, especially when you look at just sort of the effort and guys diving on the floor. But I'm happy they showed it at least, right? Even for themselves, I'm happy they showed it. And you know what? It's one of those games where you look at it, okay, Pascal struggling from the field. um, Only 11 points on 4 of 18 shooting. How do you get better from that, right? Because for me, I'm looking at Pascal, and of course the Bucks are prime design to stop Pascal, right? They have Giannis as the individual defender, and then they have Brooke Lopez camping in the paint, obviously ignoring, like, whoever the Raptors are throwing out there at center, right? So, absolutely, it's hard for Pascal to score on that front. But when you look at the sort of sheer force that Giannis is able to play with, getting himself to the free throw line 21 times, getting 10 assists as well, compare that to the 11 points and the 8 assists for Pascal, you just know you you needed more on that front. And I'm not going to do one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, you know, a superstar would have done better here because I've seen Pascal have great performances against the Bucs. This guy had a 30-point triple-double against the Bucs last season. Same team, same defense. 
right? But to me, he just needed to do better tonight. And I think from, you know, watching it, and he's been so great offensively. This is not a critique of a season offensively. What I'm talking about, this individual matchup, it felt at times like he was a little bit panicked in terms of what to do, right? Because we know what Pascal can do, right, with the face-up game. And I wanted to see more of that tonight. In fact, he even hit a, a, a rainbow fadeaway over Giannis at one point for one of his four baskets. But the process of his game was a lot of back down, a lot of throw it up, a lot of, like, you know, just rush it up. And I'm, I'm worried about getting blocked and all that kind of stuff. And I think I needed to see more of the methodical approach that Pascal has been taking towards the rest of the season. Would have been a super efficient night? Probably not. Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez guarding you at the same time is just impossible as a forward. But I still needed to see more. And, and I think the Raptors needed more. And listen, a little bit more could have been just enough for a win, right? So you look at it. I didn't see enough out of Pascal. Um, and you just needed to for the Raptors. Like, that's just how they're built. They just need him to do more, right? I thought OJ Anobi needed to do more, right? Um, taking the brunt from Giannis the whole game and just absorbing drives and absorbing elbows and the punishment, it, it's it's unbelievable, um, the physical toll that has, right? So I understand that the jump shot's not really falling, but I'm talking about early in the game when the Raptors are in that funk and, you know, OG's driving and trying to attack and getting the ball stripped or, you know, open three doesn't knock he doesn't take it or open three doesn't knock it down and then you got to halftime you're like well the Raptors really struggled offensively but only four points from OG at halftime I wanted to see more second half he started coming out strong there knocked down two threes which was nice to see uh knocked out a mid-range jumper which was cool but ultimately like maybe this is all he had like honestly maybe the expectations shouldn't be that OG is like a secondary option for you rather that if he's going to be absorbing Giannis line drives into his chest all night then he's probably got to give you a little bit less offensively just because of how much sheer energy that drains from you and i get it um but you know six of 18 from the field you know probably not probably not enough um but then again he wasn't that involved in overtime at the end of the fourth quarter so can't fully put it on him but you know you want to probably want to see a little bit more consistency on that front same thing with scotty the fact that he had zero points for the first 42 minutes of the game is like alarming to me like i even tweeted out zero just because i was kind of in disbelief at the fact that he was getting zero points and it wasn't like there were zero opportunities right it was one of those things where the raptors were down so badly to start the game it was all hands on deck anything you have bring it and just give it to me if it's if it's a mid-range jumper i'll take it if it's a, a, a quick transition drive i'll take it if it's a little cut to the basket behind the defense i'll take it if it's a hard drive at whoever, and you get fouled, and, you know, the first time you, you do it, it doesn't work. Second time you do it, it doesn't work. Third time you get fouled, you know, I'll take it, right, and and try to initiate for others. And it just it wasn't really there for Scotty. I didn't really feel like he tried to willingly make a very hard, aggressive scoring move until about the seven-minute mark where he drove at Lopez, got the foul call. Lopez couldn't believe it, but he goes to the free throw, and he misses both. And I was thinking, man, is it going to be one of those games he's actually going to stay at zero? But then he completely flips it around. He literally had nine baskets the rest of the way in the next 11 minutes, right? So that ability to sort of turn it on and off, I think it's just something where can you get it stuck on on the whole time? And I'm not saying that I just need Scotty to only score, right? Because I love the the passing vision that he has as well. I know what he can do defensively for you. I know what he can do as a screener. All that stuff is positive. But I think for this team, especially on a night where they were struggling this badly on offense, you needed to see him start to push and score from the start of the game especially when Pascal's floundering. OG's not really giving you that much. Fred's trying to give you, like, a couple of baskets, but ultimately he started fading as well. You know, like, the bench is giving you nothing again. 
you know, the, the scoring could have come at a different time. But I'm happy that it came. And, um, and I think for him, even thinking about it, he should go home and, and even maybe not look at the tape tonight just because obviously, whatever, the, the game's rough, right? But the next day when the Raptors have practice, we'll look at the film and Scotty should say to himself, wow, I can take on Brooke Lopez one-on-one and score over him. Not that I should take him on one-on-one all the time and hijack the offense, but at the same time, that should give you confidence, right? There is a real confidence in the abilities of Scotty Barnes, and it's about how do you do that consistently? Because when we saw it, and it was like this avalanche towards the end of the game, you were just like, damn, could we have gotten that earlier? But at the same time, how do we encourage that to happen, right? Is it the teammates got to get him involved more early? Is it for him he's got to get on early? Is it the coaches he's got to call the plays earlier? Because that, 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 that stretch was fantastic. And again, I'm not trying to say anything about the overall process because who really knows, right? I'm not in that coach's meeting. Um, they're not going to share that coach's meeting with you. Although, to be honest, Nick does share a lot of the coaches being with, with us you know, nowadays. But ultimately, we're not going to know. We're not on the floor with the players. And we are not definitely not in the mind of Scotty Barnes. So we don't ultimately know everything. But you wanted to see that come on a little bit stronger. And again, being able to take on Brooke Lopez isolation. Being able to score over Giannis isolation. And it's funny because you look at the sheer ability. And obviously, Pascal obviously has like a way more developed, honed scoring skill set. Obviously, tonight notwithstanding. But we obviously know the, the bulk of the season right now. We know what he can do as a scorer and the polishes he's gotten to. But there's there's that there's that extra natural gift for Scotty, where even against single coverage against some of these guys, he's strong enough. He's able to be balanced enough. The touch is good enough. He can score in that way where it almost looks easy, it almost looks simple, almost looks like why didn't they do it earlier? But I'm happy he sort of got it going. And for Fred, I'm really happy with the way he played this whole entire game. Obviously, the fourth quarter, sorry, the overtime play, I, you know, we're going to jump on it. I tweeted it out as well. And I, obviously, you know, people are right now looking for reasons to be upset at Fred for some honestly valid reasons, right? Obviously he's been struggling on the season. People are upset at struggling players. This is this is sports. Um, But I thought the way he was able to manufacture points, push it in transition, generate a couple buckets, like he was trying more than anyone else to at least just take ownership of the situation and push them into something. Like, literally just start the car. Like, obviously, you've turned the keys. Everybody had a turn, turning the keys. Pascal will ISO missed the shot, turned the key. OJ Anobi with a little mid-range jumper missed, turned the key. You know, Scotty Barnes, I, I think he maybe drove and missed the layup, turned the key, didn't really work. Gary tried to, you know, drive in and, and, and make some shots happen. It didn't work, didn't turn the key. Did The car's just not starting. And Fred Van Lee was the first guy to say, screw all that. I'm getting out of this car. I'm not going to push this car. And I'm pushing this car uphill, and I'm the smallest guy in the car. And you guys are either going to stay in the car and, and wait for me to push, or you guys are going to get out here and push the car with me. And Fred was the first one to deliver that push. He was the one scoring. He was the one just generating anything. And when you look at the bulk of the game, the fact that he's a plus six in this game, where so many other players were struggling, I think is, is fairly telling. The fact that he had 28 points and 12 assists and eight rebounds with three steals, is pretty telling. Now, was the play at the end a really bad play defensively? Yes, that's almost defensive hero ball, choosing to come over in the blind side like that. You didn't need to make that gamble. But I understand the drive is there to win, and you made that play to try to win, and it didn't work. It reminds me of when they tried to double-team, when he came over to try to double-team Kyrie at the end of the first Nets loss. This is way back in game two of the season, and Kyrie made the extra pass to Rice O'Neal, who knocked down the three. That felt to me like defensive hero ball again, overhelping in a, in a key moment, trying to come up with that play. 
but I appreciate the approach. And that's what I respect about it. Fred took ownership of the situation and tried to make it happen. And this is the best that he had. And honestly, it was pretty good. But it just wasn't enough. And ultimately, the last play, he didn't make it. I'm not trying to blame him. I'm just literally recapping the game. But I thought he actually was the Raptors' best player in the night. So you got to give him credit for that mentality. You just wish the result was a little bit more. And that's all they needed was a little bit more. And then Gary Trent Jr., obviously, you know, wasn't able to score a lot. To be honest, it didn't really feel like the Raptors were in a good flow offensively at all. Obviously, that's stating the obvious. But I meant, like, in the flow in terms of just making smart plays. And I think Gary probably could have had more chances, dribble handoffs against, you know, with, with Scotty Barnes to attack that space in behind. I thought they did a great job with that against Indiana. Just didn't do that, but ultimately comes up with two of the clutches shots of the night. And that's what he is, right? He's the guy who can make that tough shot for you. And I respect that a lot. Now, with the bench, and real quickly, because I'm going to run out of time soon, but the, the bench just, it just needs to give you something, right? When Malachi Clint comes into the game and he commits two fouls on the same possession, and then the next time down, he comes in, pulls up for three, and it hits the backboard and nothing else. What are you supposed to do with that? 12 minutes. Nick Nurse gave him a second shift after that first shift, and he collected a couple of rebounds, but just ultimately no spark. Um, Precious Achua, fresh off of injury, looks super rusty, right? I thought he looked much better in that Pacers game, especially in the second shift that he played in the Pacers game tonight. I couldn't even understand what was happening. You know, there was a play where, again, the Raptors were down. Like, they had offensively was such a struggle. They were stuck on, like, 60-some-odd points, right, midway through the fourth quarter or early in the fourth quarter, and Fred drives, draws two defenders, kicks out the pressures. He's wide open for three, shoots the three way short, right? Then pressures, the ball just happens to bounce right back to him because when the shot's are that short, the rebound's coming right back to where it came from. Pressures kill out the rebound and then drives in baseline for a push shot, open, right? Maybe a bit rushed, but open, push shot, misses it, right? And the next play down, the Raptors, Fred drives, Beats all the defense. Like, he had Javon Carter one-on-one. Pretty tough on-ball defender. Gets a screen, doesn't get him off. Gets a screen, doesn't get him off. Finally, shakes Javon Carter. Gets into the lane. Draws two defenders. Kicks it out to Precious wide open in the corner. And Precious should have taken that three because it's three seconds left on the clock. And he's the one who's open. And instead of taking that shot, he passes it over to Malachi, who was less open. And to be honest, Malachi should then take the shot. But I don't think Malachi was shot ready, considering the fact that you don't expect the swing pass to come to you with three seconds left when you are not even open. And Malachi tries to drive and attack the closeout, and he commits a you know shot clock violation. So it was an error on both sides. But for me, it's like, Precious, even if you're not able to make the last three, you have to take that shot. That's absolutely the right play, right? And then the next trip down, uh, Precious, um, what's his name? Bobby Portis um, is able to sneak in behind Precious for an offensive rebound where he tips it in. And to me, it's just like, look, you've you just done the hard part. You just forced the miss. Can you get the rebound? And Precious was not able to box out uh, and, and just didn't have the focus there to, to, to make that play. And, you know, the Raptors were able to find him a lob coming out of that timeout, which was great to see. But then he missed another chance where he had a pass in transition. It was a, it was a break. He made the pass, the bounce pass. I think he tried to find Chris Boucher. It got picked off. And so instead of the Raptors getting out in transition for a basket, which would have obviously been two points, and got back on defense to set their defense, instead it's a live ball turnover, and two points for the Raptors turns into two points for the Bucks breaking the other way. Way too costly for that scenario. And, and I understand. I'm not trying to like say he needs to be excellent coming off of injury, but those are – I'm just listening to you three or four key mistakes that you cannot have in a game where you're trying your very best to scrap and compete. Right, and Chris Boucher missing some threes. I honestly I had no issues with Chris today. He, he, look, the threes are ill advisable in the sense that he's not shooting a good percentage. But 
again, he's trying to give you what he has. And he's going to try to be aggressive and take that three. I've seen games against the Bucks where Chris Boucher's knocked down some threes. I don't think you should lose face in that shot. But at least he played hard. He went aggressively to the glass. He's the one bench contributor where obviously it wasn't a good game, but I was fine with what he had. And then Wancho comes in for five minutes. Tr- truth be told, kind of a nothing burger. One play where he got stuck on the play and tried to throw a backdoor pass to Chris, who wasn't really even open, and ended up throwing it off of the defender's foot for the reset. Um that didn't really affect the game at all. It's just the only time I even remember Wancho affecting the play. So that's your whole bench. And you had seven points off your bench. And it's not like the bench had all the time in the world to play. But when you think about the plays that they didn't make, especially the missed plays that they had, you just needed more. And then ultimately, yeah, you know what? It's not like anyone shot the ball efficiently, but I guess Scotty ultimately did, 9 of 19. But, um, yeah, you just you just needed more. And... You know, the Raptors might not have more to give, and this might be their best effort. Like, they tried their very best. I respect these guys so much for their effort, but it's just not enough. And that's where the front office, and I know Bobby and Masai were here in the building. They were in the, in the tunnel watching this game and moving around as they usually do. They saw this, man. They saw this crystal clear, and I don't know what other conclusion you have for it. So salute the fight, but ultimately not enough. So in terms of the uh, to wrap up the show, um, your three stars. I'm gonna give the first out to Fred. I know that he made that mistake at the fourth in the end. I really know that. But over the balance of the game, Fred made a lot of winning plays for the Raptors. I respect him so much for just pushing them team forward. Not only because they get, you can maybe win the game, which ultimately they didn't, but just to like avoid a little bit of embarrassment. Maybe the Raptors embarrassed themselves anyway with how bad it was offensively, especially this in the being on the ESPN game. Like everyone saw it nationwide. But Fred took ownership of that situation, and he tried to do something with it. And 28 points, 8 rebounds, 12 assists, 3 steals, 8 of 23 from the field, but including 4 threes and 8 of 8 from the free throw line. He tried his best. He was plus 6 in, in the game. I, I can't hate it, right? So he's going to be the first star. Um, second star is going with Scotty. And you, if you want to give Scotty the first star, uh, you know what? Honestly, for, for that amazing stretch there down the stretch where he's able to finish in isolation, you know, I, I can hear that case. But... Over the balance of the game, obviously just too empty for that first start. So how do you get him going from the start of the game? And it's not just like, oh, let's wait the game and see how it reads and reacts and where the open plays and he's sending guys up. He wasn't really involved. He wasn't looking to be involved. And that's where you just got to see a little bit more. But, you know, 19 points, including nine baskets in the last uh, 10 minutes of the game. Pretty damn good. And you just want to see more of it, but pretty damn good. Um, if you're going to hold on to something, hold on to that, I suppose. And then your third star, um, I'll give it to Gary, um, just for making those two super clutch shots down the stretch there. Wasn't able to get it going in overtime, but, you know, he got you there in the first place with some ridiculous shot making. And, yeah. Um, in terms of your Gerald Henderson Award winner, I'm going to give that to... Uh, I mean, it's probably got to go to Grayson Allen. I mean, he literally hit the game-winning shot. So, yeah, good for Grayson Allen. Almost gave up the... I mean, he didn't need to foul Gary in that way, but he chose to because that's kind of what he does. But, yeah, ultimately, he still hit the three. So, what can you really say? So, anyway, that does it for the Reaction Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I know it was a bit of a bit of a roller coaster. I appreciate everyone sticking with me. And listen, like, no matter what the Raptors choose to do, no matter how bad it kind of gets, no matter how good it kind of gets, we're always going to be there. Um, to to recap this game and hopefully you know you as the fans will be there too. I gotta say one thing actually quickly before I go. I know I'm running up against the clock. Um, the fans in this game, and I know there's been a lot of criticism of the Scotiabank Arena attendees, and um, you know some of that's come from me as well. Some of these games have been genuinely overwhelming, but to me there were so many times in the game, even though when the Raptors were struggling like that offensively, 
where the crowd would organically break into Let's Go Raptors chants. And it was strange to almost see the arena sort of play music over top of it. Maybe it was just sort of like that was in the queue and they just didn't really time it well. But I counted three or four times where the Raptors were fans were trying to chant Let's Go Raptors. And obviously a lot of people filtered out as you would to beat the traffic with a minute left down 14, you know, but there were so many people who stayed. More than 80% of the people who stayed and they saw that comeback and that push and the building was loud and the energy was great. And I think that probably contributed a little bit to the panic that the Bucks ultimately went into for a stretch there. But, uh, you know, so you got to give the fans some credit as well. Maybe the fans should be the third star. But yeah, ultimately the Raptors didn't get it done and, uh, you know, we'll still be here to recap and talk about the games. So thanks everyone for listening. Once again, you can rate, review, subscribe to the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, yeah, I'll be back on the Raptors show tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. Check it out then.